gonna be in Matthew chapter six. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and find Matthew six. Uh, that's the first uh, book in the New Testament. And so if you're kind of newer to your Bible, you can go about three quarters of the way through your Bible. You'll find the New Testament where it begins. And Matthew is the first book. We're going to Matthew chapter six. And that's where we're gonna be. My name, like I said, is Drew. And I am the full-time college minister here. But actually my, my full job, my real job is that I am uh, the coworker and my supervisor is my spouse named Holly. And here's a picture of Holly and our four children. So I'm really a preschool minister, okay? And so you can see that my, my full job is that I minister to this uh, little, this family here. My wife, Holly and I met at Baylor many, many years ago. And, uh, and then uh, our family is very uh, scrunched together in age. You might uh, be wondering, you know, all of that, there's a five year old, a three year old, another three year old who are not twins and a two year old. And that's because my wife and I were involved in fostering and some of our little ones went home to their biological family, which we were so thankful for mission accomplished. Some of them, you know, went and came back. Others of them stayed and were adopted. Our youngest son is our biological son. Our three other daughters have been adopted. That's our family. You will definitely see us running around Highland. You know, the kids will be screaming. I'll be crying. You know, you can just pray for me as you see us walk by. And so uh, Holly's usually the one holding us together. And I'm, I'm kind of just like carrying everybody. That's kind of our jobs. And so we love you. Holly and I uh, have been in partnership in ministry and the college ministry here together um, for uh, eight years. It's my eighth year as the college pastor. It's my 15th year at Highland. I was uh, a freshman at Baylor and found Hyle in my freshman year. And God has really grown me up in this place. One of the things that God's been doing, and, and I want you to know, you never arrive. You never stop growing. You never stop taking your next steps, right? And, and, and one of the things God's been teaching me and us as a ministry lately is so much about prayer. And, and about a year and a half ago, the Lord just really started this prayer revolution. And it wasn't just at Highland. I don't know where you're from or what your faith journey is, but all across the world, all across America, all across Texas and Waco, we're seeing people who are hungry for prayer. And so we sensed the same thing that God was doing all over these places. And we said, Lord, how do we you know, learn to step into this? How do we grow in prayer? And so for the last 12 to 15 months, a lot of our themes and sermons and initiatives and all those things, a lot of those those have been prayer. In fact, last year it was the house of prayer. That's basically what we called uh, pretty much everything we did, which is why you might see some house of prayer t-shirts or signs around. And, and so it's something that we've been really pushing. And the reason is because Jesus said that his house will be called a house of prayer. And that's really important because a lot of you are college, you know, college students who might live on campus, but also one day you'll probably live off campus and you'll name your house, okay? All the most ridiculous, random, hilarious names, like names that I can't even repeat from the stage because they're so bizarre, you know, and it's just like, okay, these are your names. That's great. And it becomes your Instagram, you know, house name and it's your group chat. And like, I grew up on Paschal. Anybody live on Paschal uh, here? Okay. Yeah, I didn't grow up there. That'd be weird. Uh, but in college, I lived on Paschal. And so our friends called it the Paschal, like, you know, the Paschal houses, the Paschal players or something like that, you know, something lame, like super 2013 like that. Okay. And so we, uh, that was what we named it. When whoever owns the house gets to name the house, right? And God has named his house, the church, but also the temple of our hearts, the house of prayer. It could have been the house of missions. It could have been the house of praise, the house of preaching, but he chose the house of prayer. And so therefore, as a ministry, we've been trying to just step into that. Lord, what does that mean as an individual and corporately together to go forward into prayer? And one thing that I think is important for you to know is that tonight as we talk about prayer and as we emphasize it as a ministry, it's really important for us to do that because in a large church like this, 
it's so important to, to really focus on depth. Uh, just recently, our lead pastor, John Durham, had a, had a sort of a word for us, and it was that we're not supposed to focus on the breadth, like the, the numbers. It's our job to focus on the depth. And that's what prayer does. It takes us deeper. And so as a congregation, as an individual, as students, as, as CGs and our small groups, like we wanna go deep and prayer does that. You know, one thing that's amazing about prayer, I don't know if you've ever considered this, is that it doesn't matter what year in the history of the world you choose. You choose BC or AD. You choose, you know, the first millennia, or the second millennia. Anywhere, any year, and you go any place, any culture, any empire, you know, you could go uh, any languages, any denomination, any flavor of Christianity, and all of them are going to pray. That marks every denomination, every people group, every year, even before Christ in the Old Testament with the Jewish people, they were a praying people. We've worshiped differently. We've done sermons differently. We've done missions differently. Praying has always marked us and it even marks the differences. We have so many things that make us different from other denominations, other churches, other Christians. Uh, Let's focus on what makes us the same. And that's our prayer relationship that we have, the power of prayer. And so there's something really unique about prayer. And so as I said, we're in Matthew chapter six. Let's, let's read what Jesus said about prayer. Matthew chapter six. We'll just read a couple of verses to start out, verse five and, five and verse six. This is Jesus teaching. And when you pray, Jesus said, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. And truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, pray to your father who is unseen, and then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. You may not know this, but there's a war happening every day in your life. And it's in the secret place. See what happens in the secret place, whether it's secret sin or secret prayer, will determine everything about your faith. The secret places is either wonderfully holy or it's shamefully dark. And it's so critical to understand how important the secret place is in your life. Scripture talks about both of these lanes a lot. Darkness and secret sin and just the beauty and the holiness of secret prayer. And part of my testimony is that I grew up as a pastor's kid and I grew up being able to sing. And so when you're the pastor's kid and you can sing, they oftentimes will give you opportunities to serve at a young age. You know, have you ever noticed that they'll never give a 14-year-old, you know, the, the, the pulpit to preach, rightfully so. We should probably not do that with 14-year-olds, right? But if you can sing, they'll put you on stage in front of people, right? And that's something that was happening in my life is that at a young age, I could sing and my dad was on staff. And so, you know, I was learning about ministry, there were a lot of blessings in that. But part of my testimony is that because of that seenness in front of others, it created a double life where there was secret sin. And so the first 10 years of my faith was really marked by secret sin. It was sin of lust and sin of pride and just in deception and and, and all of the things that, that come with secrecy and trying to build up and cover up. And this was happening simultaneously while I'm being able to to lead others in the faith. And so that tension was hard. And so I bet you can sort of 
empathize or connect with one of these three phases of my testimony. Maybe yours is not secret sin, but then when I was in college, I was able to to really step into uh, the power of Jesus's victory in my life. And I was able to to see God bring victory over sin. And I was able to confess my sin to my roommates, confess it to people here at Highland. And I was able to get in victory so that I wouldn't be, you know, getting defeated in secret sin. And I graduated into this next phase called secret neutral. So it was first secret sin, but then it was secret neutral, where really for about 10 years, nothing was happening in secret. I was a good person. I wasn't living in secret sin. I was seeing, of course, that was a good thing, a good step to take, but there was not an activity, a mission, a purpose uh, behind the scenes. And then it was just about a few years ago when I was able to really step into, by the Lord's grace and help and conviction, secret prayer. And I think all of us kind of come into this place tonight in one of those categories. We're either protecting others from seeing the secret sin, or we've seen some victory and now we're in this secret neutrality, or we're really starting to experience the power of secret prayer. And what we're gonna talk about primarily tonight is that last phase of secret prayer. And since this is college night, I wanna just stick with school terms for us. You know, God wants you to graduate into this secret place of prayer. He wants you to graduate up but Satan wants you to be held back. He wants you to be held back and and, and to continue to stay in these same rhythms year after year in the same places of neutrality or of secret sin. And God wants to graduate you and and Satan wants to hold you back. And, and, And there's this war happening every day in the secret place of your life, but there's no time, there's no time for a gap year with prayer. We can't be taking gap years or gap decades or or gap half-lives in prayer, it's too important. We need prayer warriors who are 19 and 20 and 21 and 22 and not just 82 years old. I don't know if you have grown up in a church uh, like me, uh, but, but oftentimes I found that the prayer warriors were always the grandmas. Anybody else ever, anybody have a grandma who's a prayer warrior or a grandpa? And they just pray and they pray and it's like, man, I wanna be like them. And they're all old. They have silver hair and they have thick glasses and they have you know, uh, very old cars that smell weird, right? And that, these are the prayer warriors of our society. And I, I wondered recently, why do old people love prayer so much? What is so unique about being old that makes you love prayer and being young that makes you miss it? And this is what I realized is when I was starting to think about it, I recognized that whenever you get old, a lot of your distractions start to fade away. A lot of the things that have taken your attention and your time start to go away. Even church, the busyness of church, you know, college ministry, young adult ministry, you know, small group ministry and, and, and having, a, you know, ski trips and, and mission trips and all these things, a lot of those things pull back in senior adult ministry. And it's not as busy, it's not as full. Oftentimes older people, they tire more easily. At Highland, sometimes we talk about like you've got the senior adult ministry. We have about 500 senior adults here. And sometimes they're categorized, not like on any, any roles or anything, but as either go-go's or slow-go's or no-go's, right? And so you got the go-go's, you know, grandmas, and then you got the, the, the slow-go's who kind of can get to church, but it's slow and they need to ride the golf cart. And then you got the no-go's who, who literally they can't get out of their house and we have to visit them and pray for them, right? Well, oftentimes you get tired when you get older and therefore the opportunity to do other things is taken away. Many, and even in, in, sad, in sadness, right? A lot of the times their friends have passed on, their loved ones have passed on. The people they used to spend time with have moved on, have, have moved to other places or have passed away. They don't go to the movies. They don't play pickleball. They don't stress about schoolwork. They slow down. And in slowing down, they realize the blessing and the power of prayer. 
It's happening generation after generation in Christians. They embrace it and they start to see the value and then they become a prayer warrior. And I have to wonder if we brought one of them up here, they'd say, I wish I would have understood this when I was 20, not when I was 80 because there's so much power here. This is why in our college ministry, our theme verse, you've seen it on the shirts, you've seen it on the screens, you've seen it all over the place. It comes from Acts chapter six, verse four, which says this, they devoted themselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. They devoted themselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. We want this to mark us as a college ministry, that we're devoted to prayer and devoted to the ministry of the word. I want it to mark you as an individual, even before you walk into this church, that you're devoted to prayer, you're devoted to God's word. The English Standard Version, it says it that way. They're devoted themselves. The King James Version says it this way. They gave themselves continually. You can see it on the screen as well. And then the NIV says it this, they gave their attention to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And I just asked this question of us, what are you devoted to? What gets your attention? What do you give yourself to over and over again? I think it's fair to say what you give yourself to continuously in secret is what you're most devoted to. And I asked this question for all of us just to resonate on, maybe if you're taking notes, you might wanna write this down. What are you doing every day that only God sees? What are you doing every day that only God sees? I think it'll categorize you like my life. Are you in that secret sin, that secret neutral, or that secret prayer space? The secret place is either wonderfully holy or shamefully dark. But I'm so thankful that we have a God who loves us and receives us. Romans says that his kindness leads us to changing. It's not his rightness, it's not, it's not, hey, once you start getting yourself in line, then you, get to, then you get to have access to my presence. No, it says God's kindness led me to change. And so tonight, if you're one of those people that's walking in secret sin, if you're like, hey, what God sees that nobody else sees is very dark, Drew. That's my name, I'm Drew. And so like that, that's very dark. Man, God loves you, God's kind to you, God's drawing you in. He wants you to be able to graduate into these other spaces, to graduate into secret Prayer. Let's keep reading in Matthew chapter six. Let's go ahead and reread starting in verse five. We'll read through verse eight this time. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they've received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, pray to your father who's unseen. And then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. I wanna give you a couple of just points out of this message. The first one is this. Jesus prioritized secret praying over public praying. Jesus prioritized secret praying over public praying. Let me tell you this. Jesus is not condemning public prayer. He's not condemning public prayer. We've prayed in public tonight. You hopefully will pray many times in public. Jesus prayed many times in front of others. He prayed at the resurrection of his friend Lazarus. He was praying in John 11. He was praying for him out loud. That's a place we did in front of us. He prayed before meals, like the feeding of the 5,000 or like the last supper, prayed in front of other people. He prayed uh, before he healed someone in Mark chapter seven. He prayed out loud so that this person could be healed. In Matthew 19, he prayed over children out loud. Jesus prayed out loud in front of other people. So he's not saying, hey, never pray out loud because he did that. But in Jesus' teaching, and especially in his example to us, we see it over and over again that he shows us 
Private prayer is more important than public prayer. And if you're a religion major in the room, if you're a, a church nerd like me who grew up in the church, if you're a leader in this ministry, if you're called into vocational ministry, you're called into church leadership, hear it, see it in Jesus' life. Private prayer is more important than public prayer. In Mark chapter one, Jesus prayed alone early in the morning. In Luke chapter six, Jesus prayed all night alone before an important decision the next day. In Matthew, Mark, and Luke, Jesus prayed when he was tempted in the desert alone. And then in all the gospels, when Jesus was in great need, when he was in great anguish in the garden of Gethsemane, he was praying alone. Praying alone is so important. He teaches about it, he shows us. And, and it seems to me that many of us as Christians are in long-term relationships, long distance, excuse me, long distance relationships with God. It's, it sort of goes like this, like we know God, we're in a relationship with God, but it's not like when you go to the same school. It's not like when you're at the same school and you kind of can see each other at, at the cafeteria or you can ride to church together or, or you can go on a walk around the bear trail or, or you can go and get ice cream together. It's not like that because when you're in a, a long distance relationship with somebody, things are a lot different. So you get together with your significant other when it's like a big event. Right, It's when a wedding comes around or maybe a big formal or it's like a holiday. And this is what we do with God oftentimes. It's like, hey, it's camp. Hey, it's passion. You know, hey, it's vertical or it's college night. And so I'm getting together. It's a long distance relationship, but we're getting together. And man, I really just feel close to God. But, but there's just this space between the presence. And then also it's, it's like when you're in a long distance relationship, it's so hard, right, to be able to communicate daily. It's like I gotta you know, carve out an hour of my night or 90 minutes of my night to, to get on a FaceTime with, with the, the significant other who lives far away so we can connect and we can talk about our days. And that just takes time. And oftentimes you're too busy for that. There are other things going on. It'd be so much easier if you could do those you know, kind of little quick dates and those little moments where you're driving to church together and connecting and on the walk and all that. But it's, the, it's that long distance relationship. So you have a call like that with God from time to time. It's like, from time to time, I can spend a long time with God, but for the most part, it's, it's hard. I'm too busy. And rarely are we with God in his presence in, in deep prayer, extended time, not long distance, but that close, accessible relationship that God wants us to have. And prayer is that lifeline to that. And that second point, we, we heard the first point already. The second point is this, is that future rewards are found in secret prayers. Future rewards are found in secret prayers. Let's keep reading. Look back at, at Matthew chapter six. We'll actually look at the end of verse five and the end of verse six. If you notice, look at the tenses here. Look at, look at what's happening. With these seen prayers, the ones that are seen by others in, in verse five, at the end it says that they've received their reward in full from others. It's past tense. Do you notice that? Their reward is past tense. And then on the secret prayers... It says the Father will reward you, a future tense. They have received their reward in the seen prayers. They will receive their reward in the future tense. Not only that, but who's giving the reward? In the seen prayers, it's the people who see it. And in the secret prayers, it's the Father who gives us the rewards. There's the past and the future. There's the others. There's the Father. And here's what it means. It means that when you pray in front of others only, if that's what your, life, if what, if what your prayer life looks like, it's only in front of others, then your reward is what those people see or don't see, their acknowledgement. Hey, that was a great prayer, man. That was powerful prayer. That was, that was great. That really helped me. That was a great prayer. And sometimes that's nice, but it just doesn't, isn't really like those future rewards that happen when we're sowing the seeds of prayer in secrecy, right? Where it's nobody else sees it. And it's just the future rewards from the Father, 
And those rewards, they're so rich. They're really so rich. I mean, we have answered prayers. We start to experience the power of hearing God's voice leading us and peace that surpasses all understanding is what, is what the New Testament teaches us. And relationship with God builds really strong when we have these kind of relationship through secret prayer. And as I've graduated up into secret prayer and as I'm still growing, I have so much to grow in, but God's been so faithful to, to show me so many things where, where specific prayers have been answered. Things for my family or for myself or for you guys or, or healing where, where I'm, I come into a space where I have a foot injury or I have a finger injury or I have you know a stomach problem and I walk in and I start to pray and, and I experience the Lord's physical healing in my life. That's happened many times in this calendar year. Spiritual gifts being unlocked in my life and, and God's voice leading me and, and, and the blessing of being convicted of my sin. You know, as I've graduated into secret prayer, I've been more convicted of sin than, than when I was in the neutral space. The neutral space is safer because you can kind of just, you know, depend on yourself. But when you really step into the secret place of prayer, then God really starts to chip away at some of those deep things that are way under the surface. And God really wants us to dig out those rooted sins. That's a blessing of conviction, the blessing of God's power expanding in our lives and in my life and my heart. And so Jesus isn't saying, don't pray in public. He did this himself. He's just saying, don't only pray in front of others. And I love it because when you think about it, every other spiritual discipline, every other, in fact, most spiritual gifts even, they have the opportunity to be tainted by mixture. And what I mean by that is no matter how pure your offering is as you pray in front of someone else, or as you worship in front of you know, others or with others, or as you preach or as you evangelize, no matter how pure that offering is, there's always the temptation of mixture to be seen, to be noticed. Well, that guy can really sing. Wow, that girl, she can really pray. Wow, she's really, she's got an evangelistic gift. Wow, I can just sense the Holy Spirit in her. Those things, that mixture's tempted. But you know what? In secret prayer, there's no mixture. It's just you and God. There's nobody to, to show off to. And so I love that. It just protects us from all of that noise, from the acknowledgement of others. And that's the, the blessing that we start to experience when we get to have that with the Lord in secret prayer. And so let's continue reading Chapter six, let's pick it up in verse nine this time. Chapter six, verse nine. And then this is how you should pray. So Jesus says, let me show you how to pray. Remember he said earlier, he said, don't pray all loud and, and babbling on and trying to, to be noticed by the way that you talk. Says, none of that. He said, try it this way, verse nine. Our father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Jesus gives you some specific ways to pray. And we're gonna talk about this specific verse in a moment, but I wanna give you five specific things here that can help you grow in your prayer life. I don't wanna just talk about prayer and that you should do it. I wanna give you some specific ways to grow, learning to grow in secret prayer. The first thing is to pray in a private place. That's what... Matthew 6 said, that's what Jesus said in his teaching. Go to behind the door, close the door where no one else but your father in heaven can see you. Pray in a private place. And I just want to encourage you. I understand it might be a challenge if you live in a dorm. You might have a roommate or maybe you live in, in a house, but you have a roommate. It's difficult. Uh, I have a roommate. It's my wife, Holly, okay? And so I also have four other little children who are getting up at strange hours of the night and messing up my sleep cycle and, and, and all these. It seems like every time I just lean right into prayer, then one of them wakes up, right? I recognize it's hard. You must fight for the place of secrecy with God. 
It's, it's something that's happening to me and I'm in a little three bedroom house. I'm balling on a budget over here with the Lord, right? Lord, I need space on my back porch. Can you give me a 72 degree morning, Lord, right here? So I can just spend time with you, God. Find ways, find a table on campus that you walk to every morning. Uh, find somewhere where you can go where nobody else needs to see you or if they do, it's just somebody passing by. It's not your roommates or, or perhaps you know your roommate it has an 8 a.m. and you wake up at 7.55 just so you can use that hour in your room to have a holy secret place that only you and God see. It's so important. Go on prayer walks. Go to your car. The second thing after praying in a private place in a secret place is pray to start your day. Pray to start your day. I recognize that, that one of the, I don't know if I'd call it a temptations, but one of the strategies in, in, in life as you're young is to pray in the evening or to pray kind of in spots. And I get it, like you are some of the most, you know, you have some of the most, uh, you have a lot of things on your plate, right? And I realize that you're only gonna get busier from this point forward, but you, you probably won't have as many things going on in your life. I've got this class and this friend group and I'm in this organization and I've got this job and I'm involved in this at church. There's just so many things to juggle in the schedules. And, and it's just a lie from the enemy to say, hey, you can do this later. He, he just steals away from you when that happens. And so I, I want you to think about this. When you pray to start your day, really the first decision of every day of your life is either a decision to die to yourself or to live to yourself. Every day you wake up, it's a decision to die to yourself or to live for yourself. It sets the trajectory of my day when I start with God and I say, I depend on you. Even if it means I get up earlier, even if I got bad sleep, I depend on you. Martin Luther has a famous quote. Some of you might've heard it. He said, I have so much to do today that I must spend three hours in prayer before it begins. I have so much to do today. I must spend three hours in prayer. I can't emphasize this enough. Become a morning conqueror. This is something that will change your life, student, young person. It's transformed my life to, to be a morning conqueror. But early morning praying is a last night decision. The decisions that you make, what time you go to bed, you know, and, and how late you drink the Celsius, you know, and, and all the kind of things, right? It, it dictates what time you can wake up in the morning. It's a last night decision to be an early morning conqueror. Wake up early to start your day, to say, I die to myself today, Lord. I depend on you today, Lord. The third thing, pray with a prayer journal. To me, this is, a, this is the spiritual equivalent of like, I got the receipts. You know, I'm gonna look back on this. I see it all. Here's how God answered the prayers. Here's what I've been praying for. And it's awesome. I, I have a stack in my office of three or four journals just from this last year. And I can take you day by day. In fact, I, I wanna put a picture on the screen so you can see what mine looks like. Uh, I had to look a long time before I could find one that didn't have any sort of like private prayers about myself or my family or my friends. But I wanted to show you what I do. Every day I open up to a blank journal. It's blank on both sides, not on one side. Both sides are blank. I start on the right side. And I, and this is from July of this summer. I was in Romans and I just write down all that God's teaching me. It might be verse exactly, or it might be just a highlight, something that the Lord just speaking out of a verse. And I do that on the right side of the page. Then I go to the left side and you can see at the top with my incredible handwriting, it says, thank you, Lord. And that first section is just, what am I thankful for? It's so good to start your day thanking God for things. Wow. You answered this prayer yesterday, God. Wow. I had this wonderful day with my family or in ministry yesterday, Lord, all these things. Uh, then my next section is, what am I asking God for? What are the specific things that right now today I need to ask God for? And in that third section, it rotates for me. Right now, I'm in a season of praying through one Psalm a day. And so right now I'm on about Psalm 50, 53. This was on Psalm seven. And I just read the Psalm and I write down prayers from the Psalm. 
And then that's my journal right there. And it's been so helpful for me to, to conquer the morning with a journal. You don't need to babble on. You don't need to have all these like special words and, and high IQ. No, you can just be real before the Lord. You can just write in your journal and say, Lord, I'm praying for this. God, I'm thinking about this. But here's something, a challenge to you if you're already a prayer journaler. Just writing it on a paper is not praying it to God. This is just the notes of what you need to be praying to God. I've been convicted of that lately. It's not just writing it down. It's actually praying to the living God. It's so important with the prayer journal. Two more, and then we're gonna be done. The fourth one, prayer with a, or pray with a prayer guide. Uh, this Lord's Prayer that we read in, in chapter six, the, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. This is a six-section prayer guide. And if you're looking for a prayer guide, you can actually go to our, our college page on the website or you can go to the bio in our Instagram. And there's a button on both of those places on the website or on the Instagram for the college ministry that says a prayer guide. And you can pray through that right there. And it's something that can help you. Praying using scripture, just like this, this six sections to pray our Father who are in heaven, hallowed be thy name, to, to worship God, to go through all those sections, but expand them out. You can pray using scripture. You can break up the week. Uh, sometimes I'll do it where I pray for one of my kids on Monday and then one of the kids on Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday or our CG leaders or small group leaders. I'll take different sections and I'll pray throughout the week of this section and that section and this section so that then it's not just overwhelming with all the things. Maybe you could pray for your school one day, for your family one day, for your church one day, always praying for your heart, always praying for your loved ones but taking some other things and kind of breaking it up with a prayer guide. And the fifth and final thing is pray with others. Pray with others because when you pray with others, it increases your prayer time alone with God. There's some opportunities at Highland I want you to know about. Every Sunday morning, there's something called men's prayer and women's prayer at 8 a.m. How many of you guys have ever been to men's prayer? Yeah. All right, how many of you ladies have ever been to ladies prayer, women's prayer? Hallelujah, okay, good. So the last couple Sundays, there have been 150 plus, a lot of them college students here at 8 a.m. praying. You can come to that. You can find out information on the website. You can reach out to us. We'll tell you where it is, but praying with other people. Another thing we're starting is something called early morning prayer. And it's in two days. It's every Thursday at 8 a.m. We're gonna pray in the backyard of Common Grounds. And this is gonna be something where you can bring your friends. You can do it on your own, whatever you want. And you can come to the backyard of Common Grounds on 8 Street, right next to Baylor. And we'll be there every 8 a.m., every Thursday for the rest of the semester. And then the other thing I wanted to tell you about today, and I'd even encourage you if you want to, if you're feeling burdened to grow in prayer, to text this right now, HCM prayer to 97,000. If you do that, what you're gonna do is you're saying, hey, Drew, I want you to help me grow in prayer. And I'm not gonna spam you maybe once a week, maybe twice a week, I'll send you a message. It's not gonna be a group message where it gets all crazy. It'd just be a message to your phone that says, hey, today pray for this. Hey, today pray for this scripture. Hey, don't forget we have EMP tomorrow morning, uh, early morning prayer. I'd love to see you there. Hey, could you pray for this need or that need? And so if you ever wanna grow in that, you just text HCM prayer right now or whenever to 97,000 and it'll add you to that list. When you pray with others, it increases your secret praying. And I say again, what happens in the secret place, whether holy or sinful, will completely change your life. It'll send you one of two directions. Philip Henry is a, is a Christian leader from many, many centuries ago, and he has this quote on the screen. I want you to see it. Be sure that you look to your secret duty. Keep that up, whatever you do. The soul cannot prosper in the neglect of it. Apostasy, meaning leaving the faith, generally begins at the closet door. Be much in secret fellowship with God. 
It is secret trading that enriches the Christian. Pray alone. Let prayer be the key of the morning and the bolt at night. The best way to fight against sin is to fight it on our knees. I wanna close our time with this video. It's from uh, someone named Priscilla Shire. Her dad is Tony Evans, if you've heard of either of those names. She tells an amazing story and testimony about prayer and the power of prayer. Watch this. It was the 1940s or so when there was a professor who was in England. His name was Professor Orr, O-R-R. He taught theology at a university there. He decided to take some of his theology students, this is the 1940s, he decided to take them on an excursion, a field trip, so to speak. And so he gathered up his students and he said, we're going to go visit some of the historical places here in England that have some sort of theological significance. He took them to many religious sites, some that had been very strategic in the building up of the church and in um, the Christian faith. And one of the places that they visited was the Epworth uh, Rectory, which would have been the home, the living place, the study place of one of the great reformers of the church. His name was John Wesley. John Wesley sort of put in place much of the theology upon which the church that you attend, that I attend, a lot of that foundational theology was crafted by reformers like John Wesley. So John Wesley would study, he would teach, he would preach, he would pray that revival would spread out, not only in England, but he prayed for it here in our country, that would, revival would break out. He and others like him ushered in, in prayer, some of the great revivals that swept through America in the early 1900s where people in mass were coming to know Jesus Christ as Lord, where the heavens seemed to be open in an unusual way and revival broke out in a way that has made the history books that we still look back on now and recognize the fire of God's spirit that spread during that time period. It's because guys, many of them, like John Wesley, were on their knees praying that God would move. So these theology students went and they visited this rectory, this house where he lived, and they went in the kitchen. Professor Orr showed them all where John Wesley would have uh, eaten his uh, lunch and his dinners, where he would have cooked, where he would have lived his life there. Took him into the study where John Wesley would have studied. These theology students were enamored because, of course, some of the old books that John Wesley would have studied from, that he had written in, some of those notes they had preserved, they were still there on the desk and on the bookshelf. And so the theology students were feeling the, the spines of those books, just enjoying the richness of this history. And then Professor Orr walked the students up to the second floor where the, the most intimate quarters of John Wesley would have been his bedroom, walked in the bedroom, and the students began to file around the bed in a tiny space in that bedroom. And as they all filed into the room, one of them noticed as they got around the far side of the bed that there were two um, small patches, well-worn patches in the carpet fibers of the floor. They were right next to each other and they were beside the bed. And he, he asked his professor about those patches that were worn right there beside the bed. And Professor Orr explained that it is said that those two patches were the actual places where every single morning, not for a minute or two, but for several hours on end, John Wesley would plant his knees right beside his bed. And he had prayed so long and so hard for revival that his knee had, knees had actually imprinted themselves onto the floor. That the carpet fibers were, were worn as he prayed for revival. 
So the students stood in there for a moment. And after a few moments, they left the room. They went downstairs. They all got on the bus to go to the next location. Professor Orr stood at the front of the bus, counted the students to make sure everybody was there. And he realized one was missing. He walked back into the house, went into the kitchen to look for the student. Nobody was there. Went into the study to look for the student. Nobody was there. Walked up the stairs into the bedroom. And he could just see across the other side of the bed the head and shoulders of a student who had planted his knees down in those well-worn patches on the floor. And he could hear the student praying, do it again, Lord. Lord, would you do it again? And would you do it again with me? Professor Orr walked around the side of the bed. He put his hand on the, the shoulder of the student and he said, it's time to go. And rising from his knees, Billy Graham went and joined the rest of the students on the bus that day. <laughs> and then God did it again. And I just wonder what would happen if this week there were some people who were brave enough to say, Lord, would you do it again? Would you not allow me to be a Christian in name only? Would you make it so that I'm so uncomfortable with being a nominal Christian who just comes to church, who just reads a verse a day to keep the devil away, who's just a good person, but isn't a person who is completely sold out for the cause of Jesus Christ? Lord, would you make it so that I am different and unique and set apart and filled by the Holy Spirit of God? Lord, would you do it again? And would you let it start with me? I know I'm catching some of y'all up, but God has been doing a lot in college students lately. This is my 15th year to be around college students. I have never seen college students this hungry for God. And I've never seen God moving this powerfully amongst college students. And you know, John Wesley, he's dead. Billy Graham, he's dead. But you know, all of these revivals, all of these movements that have happened over history have started when young people, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, when you guys prayed. And not just for a little bit, but like when you prayed for years and, or, or months and you just said, I'm just pressing in, I'm praying for revival, I'm praying that God's spirit would pour out here in my roommates, in my heart, in my campus. And when that kind of thing started to happen in the young people, not the old people, the young people, that's when revival always breaks out. And so for me, I, I'm 32 now. I'm gonna turn 33 this year. I, I'm getting old. I, I've missed that window of being the young person. I missed my college time, my 20s, but you're just entering them. And so what if there were some landlords this year who when you got to the end of the year, they, they charged you 500 bucks because you messed up their carpet? Wouldn't that be cool? I'll, I'll, I'm not gonna pay for it, but I bet your mom and dad will be happy if you just tell them. But just that we could really wear out the space and our schedules and just wear out the frequencies of heaven to say we are asking for big things as young people, God.